Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. So we're in week two of the series on the Tale of Three Kings, and uh, I'm really excited to continue uh, the series. And as the announcement said, this Wednesday and the following Wednesday, we're going to be able to uh, kind of get into the meat of it and just discussing it. Uh, but last week, I really shared a, a feel-good, uplifting message uh, called, Is There a Saul Among Us? <laughs> and so this week, I felt like I would just continue that theme by sharing another feel-good, uplifting message, Is There an Absalom Among Us? And uh, so we're going to focus on that topic this morning. But I want, I want, I'm going to... I'm not coming, let me just say this, I said this kind of last week a little bit, I'm not coming for anybody in the room, I'm coming for the spirit in the room. I'm not coming for a person, I'm coming for a principality. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Is there an Absalom among us? And I hope by the end of today's message, if you're not familiar with who Absalom was and what Absaloms do, I hope by the end of the message you'll be able to have like a clearer picture of that. But before we get started this morning, let's open up with prayer. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word is relevant in every season of our lives. I thank you that your word is filled with stories about how God moved in people's lives, but it also has the wisdom to show us and give us foresight to prevent issues, to prevent problems, to prevent the, the, the contamination of our heart. And so I pray today as we open up your word and we dive into this story that you would breathe fresh life on it. I pray for an anointing to flow in the room to speak to us. And God, we give you our hearts this morning to do surgery in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. On March 15th, in the year 44 BC, a well-known world leader was walking into a meeting with 60 other senators as they were going to make plans for the empire that he ruled. Uh, what came to happen was that that was going to be the last day he breathed because as he entered into the room, there was an assassination that took place where he was stabbed 23 times by people that were really close to him. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar's last day was on March 15th in 44 B.C., and he walked into a meeting that he had no idea he would never walk out of. What's interesting, though, is that tradition tells us that there were three last words that became really well known on his, his deathbed. And those three last words were uttered as he began to look at his assassins. And looking across in this space, he uttered these words, e tu brute. And that's, of course, Latin, but what it means is this. And you too, Brutus? If you don't know who Brutus was, Brutus was actually a really close advisor. He was, a, uh, he was more than just someone on his leadership council. Uh, historians say that he was almost like family. He was a close friend. And what Julius Caesar sadly discovered on the day of his death 
that Brutus was not only someone who participated in the assassination, but history tell us, tells us that Brutus was the one who organized the assassination. That one of Julius Caesar's best friends was the one who was scheming the plot. Doesn't that sound a lot like Judas and Jesus? Now, what does this have to do with Absalom's, though? This is what Absalom's do. Absalom's are ones that come after their leaders. Absalom's are known for this type of behavior. Absalom's may never get to take the life of their own leader, but they will do everything they can to destroy the life of their leader. Absalom's, to use kind of a common phrase, they cut out the feet from under their leaders. They will demonize the leader by undermining his influence through the assassination of his character and planting seeds of doubt in the leader's followers that call into question everything that the leader decides. And the reason why this is done is not only because they want to destroy the life of their leader, but they also want to take the position of their leader. They want the leader's position, they want the leader's influence, and they want the leader's power. I told you this was going to feel really good this morning. (laughs) And they will, by any means necessary, do what they can to take it. To, To kind of summarize this beginning point, they are insurrectionists, who craft a rebellion behind the scenes, waiting for the time to be right. And this is the most sobering thing about Absalom's. Listen to me this morning. Though Absalom's may arise in any place, though they may arise in businesses, companies, corporations, governments, we see Absalom's in politics every single day. And even in families, Absalom will arise. The most common place they arise, though, is in the kingdom of God. And they arise here to destroy, disrupt, and divide the kingdom. And here's who they pattern themselves after. They pattern themselves after their father, Lucifer. How do I know that? Because Lucifer was the first Absalom. It was Lucifer that first sought out to assassinate the character of God, undermine his influence, and plant seeds of doubt in God's leadership for the purpose of seizing God's authority and God's power. And even in his attempt, he was able to take, as Scripture says, a third of heaven's angels with him. Lucifer was the first Absalom. We see this in Isaiah chapter 14. As Isaiah is, I don't know, every time I read Isaiah, I'm like, what was he doing to receive all of this revelation? Was he by himself? Was he having these open visions? What was going on? But Absalom tells the story of what happened to Lucifer. In verse 12 of chapter 14, he says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. That was the phrase given to Lucifer. Star of the morning, son of the dawn, who have been cut down to the earth. Listen to this point. You who have weakened the nations. Why does it say that Lucifer weakens the nations? Because the devil is constantly on the move to undermine and overthrow order and leadership. 
He's always targeting, targeting leadership. But you said in your heart, this is where it all started. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But scripture said in verse 15, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to hell to the recesses of the pit. Let me tell you what this scripture tells us about the presence of Absalom's in our midst. If heaven had the original Absalom, Absalom, then think it not strange that God's embassy on the earth, the church, will also have them as well. Let me tell you, let me take it a, another step further, because if you've ever been in a church environment where an Absalom has split the church, or an Absalom, I'm, 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 I love this because I'm coming for the, the, the devil's strategy and schemes today. But if you've ever been in an environment where an Absalom has split the church, when that takes place, the first thing that you tend to believe is there's something in the leadership that is flawed. Lucifer split heaven. And the leader was perfect. So if you want to know whether or not a church is healthy or not, don't measure it by whether or not an Absalom is present. Matter of fact, I'll take it a step further, that the health of a church can be indicated by how many Absaloms are trying to overthrow leadership. You think it's the other way around. Well, something must be wrong because if there wasn't anything wrong, this would have never happened. No, something was really right and the God used pawns to disrupt and disorder and cause division in something that was moving the kingdom of God forward. If heaven has them, if Ju Jesus had Judases, then Davids have Absaloms. And by the way, here's the good news, and I said this last week, that if you're David, you will always have to deal with Saul's, and if you're David, you will always have to deal with Absaloms. <laughs> Doesn't it feel good to be a David or want to be? The kingdom of God is not exempt from attacks to bring division and disorder. And it is the Absalom spirit patterned after Lucifer that the enemy uses to stifle and disrupt the progress of the kingdom of God. As Tale of Three Kings writes in chapter 23, this is so sad, Absaloms make no hesitation to divide the kingdom of God. They are eager to bring division. And make no mistake that God takes note of those who do this. It writes in chapter 21 of the book, in the spiritual realm, those who lead rebellions have already proven, no matter how grandiose their words or angelic their ways, that they have a critical nature, an unprincipled character, and hidden motives in their hearts. Frankly, they are thieves. They create dissatisfaction and tension within the realm and then either seize power or siphon off followers. They use followers to found their own dominions, such a sorry beginning built on the foundation of insurrection. No, God never honors division in his realm. And I find it curious that those who feel qualified to split God's kingdom do not feel capable of going somewhere else to another land to raise up a completely new kingdom. No, they must steal from another leader. I have never seen the exception. They seem to always need at least a few pre-packaged followers. Those 
who lead rebellions in the spiritual world are unworthy. There are no exceptions, and now I must go and must join the passing parade. Wow. And it's only going to get heavier. But I already feel the anointing of the Lord. Because we are addressing the enemy and what he tries to do in God's camp. Let me tell you a true story of what the spirit of Absalom does in a church. And this is a verified true story. This is not anyone that you know because you'll be thinking, who is he talking about? This was actually in an interview by uh, a, a Christian leader that has passed John Paul Jackson. He talks about a personal story. There was a thousand member church. Senior pastor had been the pastor for 25 years. This was a church well known in the community. There was, this was a church where the leadership was well respected, but they had a need for a youth pastor. And the reason why we have the middle school students uh, in the room is because you need to hear this at when you're young. Because the Absalom spirit often attaches it, it, I'll tell you the two categories it attaches itself to. It attaches those, it attaches itself to those under authority and it attaches the, itself to those in the youth. Because it is in youth, youthful energy and ambition that you begin to believe that you can do it better than people that are older. Yeah. And it's that same spirit that the enemy loves to attach an Absalom spirit to. And so uh, he talks about this story and he talks about the, the fact that they needed to have a youth pastor so they hire a youth pastor and this youth pastor is uh, doing a great job. He's growing the youth, youth ministry, but he begins to approach the senior pastor about wanting to have a little bit more responsibility and wanting to have a little bit of more, more authority. So the youth pastor promotes him to the assistant pastor, and he gets this position, and, and, and that's still not enough. And so over time, he begins to approach the senior pastor, and he says, hey, I wanted to know whether or not I could have my own service on Saturday morning, Saturday nights to kind of like... Um, you know, we have a multi-generational church, but I really want to kind of like uh, get this for, for the, um, and by the way, this, the, 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 the equation and the pattern is everywhere. There's like no new scheme and no new trick. But anyway, so he goes and he says, hey, I'd love to do this because, you know, we have a younger, I, I want the younger people to, to, to accommodate and get into the church. And so uh, the pastor says, yeah, absolutely, absolutely do that, do that. And so he begins to start to have the Saturday night service, and a lot of people start to come. And then what he does is he starts to come to the Sunday morning service, which he's normally at. But here he starts to talk to people and say, you know what, I could really use your help in the Saturday night service. Because you are the perfect person to help me build this thing. It's about the kingdom. And so we need to build this. And let's, let's build this. Let's build this. Let's build this. And so can you hum, come help me? And people love to, they need to be needed. And so... So he goes, they go along with him and finally get to the point where the Saturday night service is bigger than the Sunday morning service. And he comes to the senior pastor and he says, hey, this is all true story. Hey, um, why don't we switch places? Why don't you take the Saturday night service and I'll take the Sunday morning service? Now, at this time, I want to make a special note that because of what was happening, this senior pastor is seeing a successor. He's seeing someone. He's, he's placed trust. He started to believe, hey, this could be the guy that's taking over for me. Look at the way that God is touching him and blessing his life and how he's moving forward. And so he gives him more and more authority and gives him more and more things to the point where he consents to them switching. But guess what? The Saturday night crowd doesn't stay with the senior pastor. The Saturday night crowd follows to the Sunday morning and the Sunday morning people stay 
And so eventually it gets to the point where this assistant pastor has so much leverage and his influence and authority in the church, he goes to the board and he says, you know, I really believe that it's, it's time for the senior pastor to transition out. He presses, he presses this, the board, the board fires the senior pastor, and he promotes himself to senior pastor. And guess what? This is the most tragic thing about the whole story. In six years, the church closes its doors. Closes down under and Absalom in total authority. As the book says, you know why they closed in, 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 um, under an Absalom in total authority? Because when Absaloms are under authority and they're producing rebellion, you will reap what you sow. Right. And Absaloms, when they get promoted into this place, there's only another rebellion waiting to happen. And then, and as an Absalom gets in this leadership position, he starts to throw spears like Saul to, to attack and assassinate every Absalom that's coming for his throne because it's only a matter of time before you reap what you have sown under authority. When you sow division, discord, and destruction, it's only a matter of time before you reap it. And sadly, what happened in this scenario is that the main casualty was the kingdom of God. A place that had existed for 25 years and did great things in the community no longer existed because an Absalom rose to power. So where does this Absalom spirit get its name? It gets its name from one of King David's sons named Absalom. And let me just say, I do not, and I'm going to say this again, I do not believe that Absalom was destined to get this rebellious spirit named after him. If that was the case, God is not good. But what I believe is that there was something that Absalom opened his heart to. See, let me tell you, nobody is supposed to be the villain in anybody's story. But what I believe is that there was moments in, in Absalom's life, and we'll talk about it, where he opened his heart, and when he opened his heart to certain things existing, the Absalom spirit, like the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, was waiting for someone to, somewhere to land and begin to lead and influence the way that he made, made decisions in his life. Because remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So Absalom's story is told in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 19. And this is where it, I would encourage you to read through that as you read part two of Tale of Three Kings, if you haven't already read it. Absalom is the third oldest son of David, but he's actually the second in line to inherit the throne. Uh, the reason for that is because he had a, there was a second-born son, his name was Cheliab, and a lot of people believe that he died because he's mentioned at birth and he's never mentioned again. And so by the time that Absalom kind of arises in power, a lot of people believe that he's the second, born, or second in line to the throne. The crazy thing about Absalom's name, and this is where I talk about destiny because I don't believe he was destined to be a villain, Absalom's name is from a Hebrew compound word, Abba Shalom which means my father's peace. But that's the last thing we find that, that he gave his, his father David. Last thing he gave his father David. Absalom's story is a record of him wreaking havoc. In 2 Samuel 13, Absalom kills David's firstborn son, Amnon. The reason why, and this is going to be PG-13, but the reason why Ab Absalom kills his firstborn son, Amnon, is because Absalom has a sister named Tamar. Tamar. Amnon is a brother from another mother, literally. Uh, David had a lot of wives, concubines, things like that. Um, but 
Uh, Absalom has a sister named Tamar, and Amnon is infatuated with her, and he devises a scheme to basically get her alone, and he ends up sexually violating her. And Absalom uh, initially is not really, um, he's not really kind of fully embittered by this. Uh, matter of fact, Scripture says that Absalom comes to Tamar, he, he discovers what happened, and he said, listen, do not, do not hold this against Amnon, for he is a brother, but come into my house and stay with me, and I'll essentially let you heal. And by the way, I just want to talk about the fact that Absalom's love to invite offense into their house, no matter whether it's legitimate or not. They love to open the doors to anybody with offense to come in and have a safe space to talk. And so he invites them in, and actually it's crazy that two or three verses later, it says that Absalom became bitter and angry towards Amnon. And what's crazy is two years after that, he has an assassination attempt on Amnon, which he's successful with. He invites all of the brothers to a sheep shearing party. This was what was popular in Israelite culture. Hey, you want to come over on Friday night? We're going to sheep shear. Yeah, for sure, bro. So basically, he gets Amnon drunk, and while he's drunk and he's intoxicated, he has him assassinated. That's another thing about uh, Absalom's. They never fight fair. Yeah. They can't deal with you face to face, so they will work in, we're working ways because they don't ever fight fair. So this is the first story. In 2 Samuel 14, after Absalom flees, um, after murdering, having mur Amnon murdered, murdered he flees to his mom's um, uh, hometown or region, and he stays there. But David is so brokenhearted, not only after losing Amnon, but losing now his thirdborn, who has run as a refugee, that he requests to have him back. And so Joab goes and gets Absalom. Joab was one of David's generals, brings him home. And then at, when he brings him home, he, um, he says, I just want him home, but I'm not ready yet to see his face. I, I, I'm still, this is David, I still need to heal, I'm not ready yet to see his face. So Absalom gets home, and uh, the, here's the thing about Absalom's, is they know that they're corrupt, corrupt, so they're always trying to quickly solve things so that people can move on. Okay, let's, let's just fix this. So he goes to Joab, and he says, get me time in my father's presence. Joab ignores him. He proceeds to, to go after him again, get me time in my father's presence. By the third time Job doesn't respond, Absalom says serve servants to Job's farm to catch it on fire. This will get his attention. So Job was like, what are you doing? Why did you do that? And he's like, I did that because you refused to get back to me. So this is 2 Samuel 14. 2 Samuel 15, Absalom plans to overthrow his father's uh, throne. More on that in a minute. 2 Samuel 18, Absalom dies. More on that later. Okay. A very short window of time, but a lot of destruction with Absalom. So as we consider what's recorded of Absalom's life, the question then is this. How is Absalom able to accomplish all of this? How is he able to do all of this without people knowing it is actually happening? The answer to these questions reveals the way that the Absalom spirit functions. So let's talk about some of the patterns of the Absalom spirit. Number one, Absaloms have a basic distrust, distrust of leadership unless they are the leader. 
they have a basic distrust of leadership unless they're the leader, then they're like, you should totally trust me. In other words, they only want to be in authority but never under it. Absalom's only see their leaders as Saul's. They only see Saul's, hear me, because they only see what they are. They only see what they are. Absalom is literally Saul just under someone else's authority. Where Saul's throw spears at those under their authority, Absalom's throw spears at those over them. It's the same spirit. They're the same person. In chapter 24 of the book, it says this, the Absaloms of this world can never see a David. They only see a Saul. In my judgment, our young Absalom will make a splendid Saul, for in every way but age and position, Absalom is already a Saul. This basic distrust of leadership always manifests itself in this, in constant scrutiny criticism, and questioning of any choices and decisions that a leader makes. It's not once every now and then. It's constant. It is putting every decision and everything someone says under a microscope as if everything needs to be analyzed and investigated. It's a constant scrutiny, criticism, and questioning. As the book says in chapter 25, there are always problems in any kingdom, always. Furthermore, the ability to be able to see those problems is a cheap gift indeed. Let me just talk about that. <laughs> Absaloms love to, to act like their gift is, is discernment, yeah. that their criticism is discernment. But as the book says, there are always problems in any gift, always, or in any kingdom, always. Furthermore, the ability to be able to see those problems is a cheap gift indeed. So let me, just, let me just stop right there for a minute. If you happen to be in the presence of someone that loves to criticize leadership and, and, and uh, make it look like the gift of discernment, don't be impressed. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Then Absalom would say, Look, you've got a strong case, but the king isn't going to listen to you. See, this is what... Absalom was doing. He was planting these seeds of distrust in others. In this story, Absalom would be at the city gate where everybody would come and they would want to meet with David, but before they ever got to meet with David, he would plant seeds of distrust like this in the people. He would flock to them. He would be drawn to them. He'd say, hey, what are you here for? I'm here to meet for da- with David. Well, what are you here to meet with David about? And they would tell it, with him, uh, tell it to him, and then he'd be like, well, listen, you're never going to get you're never going to get the leader to, to uh, listen to you. So he was already planting these seeds. Let me just say this. Beware of the conversations you're having because you may be listening to an Absalom or speaking like one and not even know it. And so because of this distrust of leadership, when leaders make decisions that Absaloms don't agree with, it brings us to point number two. Absaloms take matters into their own hands to execute their will when the time is right. Take matters into their own hands. Let me ask you this. What do you do when those whose authority you are under make decisions that you do not agree with? 
What do you do when those in authority over you make decisions that you don't agree with? Do you comply knowing that they are accountable to God for their own decisions, or do you take matters into your own hands? Absalom did not agree with how David dealt with Amnon. Um, Amnon was David's firstborn, and there was just something in David that was uh, really, he just favored Amnon. And when all of this takes place, it's crazy because in 1 Samuel, you actually don't even see David even addressing it. And so as David didn't address it, Absalom starts to open the door to bitterness and fester offense toward David, and he did not agree with what David did. And it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 23 through 28 that Absalom starts to take matters into his own hands. As I said earlier, he waits two years for the time to be right to kill his brother, to execute his own will against Amnon. And as I said earlier, he does that by having him murdered. He's not, and this is going to get, oh, this, one, this point's good, I'm going to tell you. He's not the one that murders Amnon. He has him murdered, which brings us to our next point. This is a primary function of the Absalom spirit. Absaloms manipulate people to do their will so that their injustices can't be traced back to them. It's not me who did it. You've got the wrong guy. Oh, but it was your plan. Absaloms manipulate people to do their will so that their injustices can't be traced back to them. By the way, this is why I'm after the spirit and not the person, because this is what the enemy does in your heart. He will convince you that your, your, he will convince you that, that the Absalom spirit is actually what you're feeling, instead of you understanding that that is the influence of the enemy to use you as a pawn to accomplish his agenda. See, Absalom would start to fester offenses in other people and they would begin to do his work on his behalf so that it would never be traced back to him. This is what the enemy does in our hearts when we open up our hearts to allow the, the, the Absalom spirit to lead the decisions and thought processes that we have. Absaloms are masters of double speak. They know how to say things in a way that you can understand what they're saying without them actually using the words. There's a lot of inferences. There's a lot of saying sentences and then you finishing them so that it can't be put back on them. Absalom's, <laughs> let me put it this way. Absalom's never said that and never did that, but they accomplished that by getting other people to do that. Yeah. I never did that. That's not what I said. Oh, yeah, it is, because there was a spirit behind the words. The spirit, it's like hangman. The spirit just fills in the gaps so that it can never be traced back to you. They are the origin of the idea, but they will use other people as much as possible to accomplish the idea. They make the plan, but try to manipulate others to execute it. Let me give you some examples of this. In 2 Samuel 13, 29, once again, it was the servants of Absalom that killed Amnon, not Absalom. Right. 
in 2 Samuel 14, 30, it was the servants of Absalom that set Joab's field on fire, not Absalom. In 2 Samuel 15, 13, it was the heart of the people that were with Absalom, not Absalom himself that wanted to be king. I'm doing this because of the hearts of the people are with me. Not because I want the throne. It's always other people. Number four, Absaloms are falsely loyal and falsely humble. It's false loyalty and humility because it's only done in public or when it will work to their favor. It's falsely, it's false because it's only done in public or when it will work to their favor. And by public, I mean only in the presence of their leaders. But when the leader's not around, they're totally different. Yeah. It'll make you wonder, like, who, who am I even talking to? Because I heard you say that in front of other people, and then what, what are you saying now? Let me give you an example. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 33, So when Joab came to the king and told him, he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king and prostrated. This is, this is after he's uh, returned from his own self-exile after killing Amnon. Thus he came to the king and prostrated himself in the face to the ground before the king. This is David. And the king kissed Absalom. And I want you to, this is the end verse of chapter 14. Look at the first verse of chapter 15. Now it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. Why is that significant? Because this is what kings would do so that people knew a king was coming from a distance. Right. He would have, kings would have runners that would run ahead to wherever they were going to announce or proclaim that the king was coming. And literally one verse later, Absalom goes from kissing and pledging his loyalty to his father to now getting a chariot and 50 men to run ahead of him because he's announcing, without announcing it, that he's king. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 7 through 12, Absalom requests that David allow him to go to Hebron to humble himself before the Lord and make a sacrifice. But that's not what he's going to do. He actually goes there to Hebron to declare himself king. Let me just say something here. If you are loyal to an Absalom, please know that they are not loyal to you. Yeah, that's true. Absaloms are only loyal to themselves. How do I know that they aren't loyal to you? Here's how. Because if they aren't loyal to leadership, what makes you think they'll be loyal to you? Let me just say this. The moment you get in the way of getting what they want, please know that they will throw you under the bus. And let me just add to it. And what will they use to do that? Every bit of information that you've shared with them. You think that you have a relationship with Absalom that doesn't exist. It's only one-sided. Number five. Isn't this feeling good right now? Number five. Absalom steal people's hearts so that in time they will want Absalom to be the leader more than their current leader. They seek to steal people's hearts. Let me tell you the two ways that Absaloms do this. Number one, they steal people's hearts by using their natural gift to draw people to themselves. 
make no mistake about it, Absaloms are always gifted. They're always gifted. If they weren't gifted, they would not be in the position of influence that they have. They're always gifted. And it's interesting because the enemy, (laughs) what you do with your gift will determine whether or not you're David or Absalom. Because the moment you start to take credit for your own gift, you're drifting towards Absalom. The moment you keep a clear perspective on your gift, you sustain being a David. But the enemy will always attach an Absalom spirit to a very gifted person because he's wanting to leverage a God-gifting gift against God, a God-given gift against God. So they steal people's hearts, and they use natural gifts to draw people to them. Absaloms often have charisma, charm, and they've got amazing gifting. The Absalom spirit always attaches itself to a gift. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 14, 25, about Absalom. Now in all Israel, there was no one as handsome as Absalom. He was, he was highly praised for how handsome he was. It said this about him. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. I mean, he was, he was, the, he was the ideal man in Israel, the perfect man. And not only that, Uh, Not only was that the case with Absalom, but Absalom had this long flowing hair. He had so much hair that he would only shave it once a year, and when it was shaved, he would actually weigh it, which is totally weird. He would get his hair cut and be like, how much does that weigh? And it says it's recorded that it weighed five pounds. That's how much hair. By the way, (laughs) Absalom must have had a strong neck. How are you carrying around five pounds of hair? See, listen, where Saul's anointing and authority went to his head, Absalom's gifting went to his. So Absalom's used their gifting to steal the hearts of the people. And the second way that Absalom's uh, steal people's hearts is Absalom's seek to tend to the wounds of the people by giving them their time, attention, and focus on the pains of the people. Here's the strategy of an Absalom. Number one, find the wants of the people. Number two, meet the wants of the people, and in time they will make you the leader. Because what they do is they actually leverage the leader's inability to meet everybody's needs against him. See, if I was king, This is what I would do for everybody. No, there's a privilege to being the second leader and under leadership. Okay? This is why I just laugh at every political debate every election time about what you're going to do when you're president. No, you're not. You're you're only only able to talk about what you're going to do when you're president because you're not president. You don't have all of the time in the world to accomplish all these things you say you're going to do. Absalom's leveraged that against the leadership. Um, Rather than lifting up the leader in the eyes of the people, Absalom's listened to the pains of the people so that the people will begin to think, why wouldn't I want Absalom as my leader? For I never get from him what I get from my current leader. I never get from them what I get from my current leader. 
We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 15, 2 through 6. Early each morning he would take up his post beside the road at the city gate. When anyone showed up with a case to bring to the king for a decision, Absalom, notice, listen, rather than lead him to David, he would draw them to himself. Absalom would call him over and say, where do you hail from? And the answer would come, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say, look, you've got a strong case, but the king isn't going to listen to you. Then he'd say, why doesn't someone make me a judge for this country? Anybody with a case could bring it to me, and I'd settle things with them fair and square. Whenever someone would treat him with special honor, he'd shrug it off, and this is the false humility, and he'd treat them like an equal, making them feel important. Absalom did this to everyone who came to do business with the king, and literally it says, and he stole the hearts of everyone in Israel. On this topic, in chapter 23 of the book, it says Absalom's, Absalom's seek followers, or at least they never turn them away. Though they seem magnificently pure and noble, they still divide. Their followers grow even though they state convincingly that they don't have any. And in chapter 20, it says this, Absalom was compassionate. And as those around him talked, the discovered, discovered injustices seemed to grow in number and severity. With each new story, men were shocked at unfairness that was now, it seemed, rampant. In other words, they, Absalom's try to magnify common situations as offenses to unite people in division. Oh, he said that to you too? That wasn't just me. Anybody else have a situation like that? Goes on to say, Absalom would say, if I were in responsibility, this is what I would do. And with these words, the rebellion was ignited. Ignited in all but one, that is. In the man who seemed the noblest and purest, this was not the case. Rebellion had been in his heart for years. Feeling better yet? So as we close, here's two questions that remain. Number one, how does Absalom become Absalom? And two, how do you and I not become Absalom? I think that's an important question. First one. How does Absalom become Absalom? Number one, Absalom becomes Absalom by harboring offense against leadership. By allowing offense to fester. As the book said earlier, there is no kingdom without problems. I've made mistakes. I've said things that were mean. mean. I've said things that probably hurt people. But you also always make the assumption of leadership that everything that they're doing is deliberate and intentional. So you harbor offense against leadership. Once again, Absalom harbored offense against David because of how he didn't deal with Amnon. And that opened up his heart to rebellion, manipulation, and a deceitful spirit. This is what the Absalom spirit does. See. This is why offense against leadership is something that has to be dealt with because if you don't, if you allow that fester to fester, it will grow into you taking matters into your own hands and beginning to 
Make sure that your will gets executed because out of bitterness, you want to make the leader pay. So harboring offense against leadership. And the second is this. It's so easy. Pride. When you have gifting, pride will always be something that will try to take over and take credit for a God-given gift. Absalom had pride in his heart. Now, here's the crazy thing is in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, we see this uh, scripture that says, and you could probably uh, finish it, pride goes before or destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Do you know who wrote that? Who wrote it? Do you know whose brother Solomon was? Absalom. Do you know the irony about the whole situation? Is that the throne that Absalom tried to take, Solomon got. And he got it because Absalom died in trying to take it. Do you know that Absalom, or Solomon was nine years old at the time that Absalom killed his brother? So you know that he knew about this. And I would like to highly argue that that truth was really close to home with Solomon. I've seen how destruction comes when pride remains. I saw that in my brother. Do you know a haughty spirit before the fall? It's an exalted spirit. An exalted spirit. So here's my question with pride. How do you handle when your gifting elevates you in the eyes of your leadership's followers? How do you handle that? How do you handle when your when your gifting elevates you among anybody? Do you begin to believe that anything that the leader can do, you can do better? This was Absalom's attitude. I'll never forget, like, <laughs> this was so crazy. Like, I had um, a leader come to me after, this was in youth ministry, come to me after um, sharing a message on a same passage of scripture that I had shared like a year before. And he was like, so what did you think about my, my, my message? I said, dude, it was great. He was like, yeah, thanks, man. And he walked away and he turned around and he goes, yeah, I preached that better than you, didn't I? I didn't even know we were competing. And you know what's sobering about that? They're not even in ministry anymore. Some of you are thinking about different people. <laughs> you can come to me and you can ask me, and I'm not even going to tell you. Because it doesn't matter. The point is, is pride always precedes destruction. I didn't even know we were competing. How did that happen? That happened because at some point there was something that rose up in the person that said, anything you can do, I can do better. Pride. The rabbis actually say something, and we see that pride was what actually destroyed Absalom. Absalom anoints himself in Hebron. By the way, that's another thing that Absaloms do. Absaloms don't wait for the leadership to recognize and anoint them. They anoint themselves. If Absalom would have just waited, he would have became king. If he would have honored David, he would have became king. But he said, that person is getting in the way 
of what I can do. And so I need to make it happen. So he anoints himself king after lying to David. He anoints himself king in Hebron, and he returns with a whole army. By the way, (laughs) this is the crazy thing, and this is why I don't want to ever follow an Absalom in leadership, because Absaloms won't fully tell you. They have an agenda and a scheme and a plan that you're not fully aware about, and sometimes you will show up. You will show up in places where they are playing out their plan, and you didn't even know that was happening. Because it says that when Absalom went to Hebron to anoint himself king, he invited people, and they showed up, and they didn't even know what they were showing up for. And he said, when the trumpets sound, you say, Absalom is king. And they're like, I didn't even know I was showing up for your coronation. You're just getting played. And so he comes back. David flees the city. He's like, I'm not going to fight my son. He flees the city. Absalom pursues him out into the wilderness. And this is the crazy thing. is Absalom, in pursuit, comes across some of David's soldiers. And he's on the back of a mule. And he's going under an oak tree. And his hair gets caught in the tree. And the scripture in the New American Standard says he's literally hanging between heaven and earth. And some of David's servants, now this is the crazy thing about David, is that David's never throw spears. Because David gave every one of his generals instructions, if you find Absalom, treat him gently. But, so David's servants come to Joab, one of David's generals, and, and they say to him, we found Absalom, he's hanging under this oak tree. And Joab said, why didn't you do anything about it? And they said, because of what David said. Well, Joab takes matters into his own hands, and it says that he pierces Absalom three times with spears. Then he takes troops, they hack him to pieces, and they bury him in the wilderness. That's a whole nother story. (laughs) But you know what the rabbis actually say about Absalom? Literally, it's recorded. His hair was his snare. Absalom literally died because of a big head. He got, his head got him caught in a vulnerable position. And pride preceded destruction. Any offense toward leadership and pride under leadership, any offense toward leadership and pride under leadership can become the open door for the spirit of Absalom to lead you. So lastly, how do we not become like Absalom? As long as we are under authority, which will be for the rest of our lives, I was just joking with Sarah that when you get older, you get under the authority of your kids. They start making decisions on whether or not you can continue to drive and where you're going to stay. As long as you're alive, you will be under, under authority. And as long as we're under authority, Absalom can try to rear his ugly head in us and through us. So how do we not become like that? The answer is the way of David. Follow the way of David. What's the way? David's commit more to their own self-examination than the criticism of their leadership. We'll talk, about, we'll talk more about David next week, hopefully fi- finishing a little bit lighter. But David's commit more to their own self-examination than the criticism of their leadership. Do you know why David did not ever throw a spear back at Saul? Because he was thinking, what is it in me that needs to be transformed? Do you know why David 
never tried to kill Absalom because he was thinking, matter of fact, it says it, on his way out, one of Saul's descendants is coming for David and saying, curse be you, you killed Saul, curse be you. And one of his, one of his troops comes to him and says, you want me to just go ahead and take care of this dude? And David says this, no, let him say what needs to be said. Perhaps this is God's hand anointing my son. That's a crazy thought. But it's David saying, you know what I believe it was? I believe it was David saying, is this me reaping what I sowed in my infidelity with Bathsheba? Maybe I'm not worthy of the throne anymore. Maybe it's my time to let go. They're more focused on self-examination than the criticism of their leadership. That's why they never throw spears. As 20, chapter 25 and 27 say, as surely as the sun rises, people's hearts will be tested. Despite the many claims and counterclaims, the hidden motives within the hearts of all who are involved will be revealed. This might not seem important in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God, such things are central. The motives of the heart will eventually be revealed. God will see to it. And this is David speaking when he's considering, do I stay or do I go and leave the city as my son is coming to take the throne? He said, these are the times I hate the most. Nonetheless, against all reason, I judge my own heart first and I rule against its interests. I will do what I did under Saul. I will leave the destiny of the kingdom of God in God's hands alone. So how do we not become an Absalom? My suggestion is that we, whether we think someone is a Saul or an Absalom, we continue to submit our heart before the examination of God, just like David did, both under Saul and over Absalom. Listen, Saul's and Absalom's may be able to fool men, but Scripture says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And you will have to give account to God what you tried to conceal. It's in this ex- exercise of laying your heart before God that you will become neither Saul or Absalom. David writes about this in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now, look at this. See if there's any offensive way in me. Is there a way of Saul or Absalom in my heart? Is there anything offensive in my heart? and lead me in the way of everlasting. I believe that that practice in David's heart is what preserved him under Absalom, or preserved him under Saul, and preserved him under Absalom. Now, there's another thing that I'm just going to lastly say. You know why Absaloms do what they do? Because they function as orphans. Mm -hmm. You know why they attack fathers? Because they're acting like orphans. There's something that goes on in the heart because this is what orphans do. Orphans say, I can't rely on anybody. I can only look out for myself to do everything that needs to be done. 
And Absalom, though his father was David, there was something inside of him that was hurt and offended by how David did not deal with Amnon that allowed an orphan spirit to take over and he started to take matters into his own hands. I don't have a father anymore to fend for me, to look out for me. So I'm just going to do this and make this happen and, and exalt myself and do all of these things. That It happens over and over with orphans. They take matters into their own hands because they don't believe they have a father. And I'm telling you, you have a father. Whether it's in the natural, it's definitely in the spirit. And if you feel... If you feel like leadership is imposing on you and leadership is stifling you and leadership is doing all of these things and you have to make it happen, I'm telling you, you're on your way to Absalom. Let it go and do what David did. Put it back in God's hands and say, I will only be promoted when God promotes me and I will only do this as long as I follow the spiritual line of how it's supposed to be done. Never exchange honor for dishonor. Follow the path and God will make it happen. In his time, you don't have to make it happen for yourself. That's what orphans do. That's what orphans do. And so, can, and by the way, let me just, <laughs> let me just say this. You trying, you trying to make things happen in your own will is why God hasn't promoted you yet. Because when you do that, what will happen when you have the authority? So if that's still in your heart, that's why you know God hasn't moved on and promoted you and exalted you because he's concerned about how you'll steward the authority if that still exists in your heart. You've got to let go and surrender to the Lord and say, in your time, not me, not my time. So what is it right now under authority that you need to change in my heart so that when that comes, I'll be ready to steward it well? Will you stand with me? Man, that felt good. That felt good. I, I wasn't coming for anybody. There's no one in this room that I believe is an Absalom. I don't believe that. Uh, one of the things about David is that David never saw the bad in people. If that was the case, he would have taken Saul out a long time ago. He was always about grace, always about giving people a second chance. Which is really hard if you want to be a David because that means that you are opening yourself up to future spears. Both from under and above. But there is a spirit patterned after its father, Lucifer, that is just highly excited for the doors you open in your heart to offense and pride so that he can begin to carry out his agenda to bring disruption, disorder, and destruction in the kingdom. And it's our job to Psalm 139 ourselves 
and say, search my heart and know my ways, is there anything offensive inside of me that would be patterned after Saul or Absalom to try to throw spears at those under my authority or spears at those over me so that I can see my will accomplished? Because for the rest of our lives, while we are under authority, Absalom will try to rear his ugly head. That's the flesh in us. So if you're in the room this morning and you're like, I know that there's some stuff in me that through these things that we were even talking about, I started to be like, ooh, I recognize that. that that's an area that, 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 that God needs to, to touch. I want to pray for that. I also pray for the orphans in the rooms that are constantly trying to take matters into their own hands to make things happen. Trust in your Father Amen. to make it come, come to pass in His timing because you don't want yours. You don't want your timing. You want His timing. So with that, will you just bow your heads, close your eyes. Lift your hands up if, if this applies to you. Father, we're coming against an Absalom spirit. We're exposing the agenda of the enemy, the schemes of the enemy that try to infiltrate every church, that try to bring disruption, division, chaos, disorder, that try to stifle the advancement of the kingdom of God. And God, this morning we're saying, not in me. Mm. We will not be the vessel that the enemy uses to advance his agenda. We'll not be the vessel, we will not be pawns that are manipulated, coerced into pushing our way through. And God, we pray for the orphans in the room, those that function in an orphan spirit that feel like they have to carry out their will because they don't have a father that's looking out for them. They don't have a father that's taking care of them. They don't have a father that sees them, recognizes them, acknowledges their giftings and abilities. They don't have that in them, God. And so, Lord, I pray for the orphan spirit in the room. And, God, I pray that there would be an impartation right now of daughtership and sonship over every person in the room that finds themselves trying to fight and take matters in their own hands. But God, that they would, as the Holy Spirit fills us and cries out, Abba, that there would be a greater level of revelation of that today, not in our minds, but in our hearts, God. And Lord, I pray this would be a house of David's and not Saul's or Absalom's. God, that we would be people committed to Psalm 139. See, God, if there's anything offensive in me, is there, if there's any way of Saul, if there's any way of Absalom inside of my heart that is out to throw spears, that is out to criticize, to scrutinize, out to judge. God, even as Absalom rode on chariots before his king, I come against a judgmental spirit that is constantly criticizing people's decisions. And God, I pray that we would let go of all bitterness towards leadership. God, that we would let go of all resentment, unforgiveness that we have. Mm. I even pray, Lord, for any person in the room 
that came from another church that has carried their offenses with them. I pray they would lay them at your feet. God, that they would not see leadership as Saul's because they're hurt. And Lord, I pray against pride that we would be a people of humility, that we would trust. As your scripture says, whoever exalts themselves will be humbled, but whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Lord, I pray that we would be patient in the process of our lives, waiting for you to move us into places and positions in your timing and not our own timing. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.